Well, again, thank you for worshiping with us today, and we want to just continue to worship the Lord now through the study of his word. So go ahead and grab your Bibles with me. Uh, if you've got a Bible, grab that. We're going to go to Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10. And again, if you're a guest with us, if we can help you, if you need anything, please let us know. We'd love to do that. For those of you worshiping with us online, welcome to you. We're glad you're here with us as well. And if you need anything, you can put it in the chat. We'll try to respond to you there as well if we're able. So uh, we've been in this new series called We Are Harvest. Just kind of looking at who we are as a church, what's our DNA, what's our purpose, what's our focus when it comes to worshiping the Lord and following him and serving him well. And, and so uh, we, several weeks ago we talked about our mission statement, which is to um, glorify God by making disciples. And uh, we want to be about that all the time here at Harvest. Everything we do is about making more disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe that, that stands on what we call our four pillars the, the foundation of who we are, church, the four things that we believe God has said, this is what a New Testament church is supposed to look like. And so today I want to talk about one of those pillars, uh, unafraid witness. And um, this, this week, as I was um, thinking about being unafraid, a, an, a movie came to my mind. This older movie now a little bit. I'm starting to show my age a little bit. Um, the Patriot. Anybody else remember The Patriot with Mel Gibson? Right? Like this great revolutionary war kind of set film, and uh, so in this movie, Mel Gibson is, uh, he plays Benjamin Martin, and he's this retired military captain who really hates war now because he's seen what it does, and he's trying to avoid it, but he gets kind of sucked in to fighting on the American side, and he has this little militia, and they eventually kind of form uh, up with the, the actual Continental Army, but later on in the movie, they get to the kind of towards the end, and they're in the, kind of this big final battle, he's with the Continental Army, and they're pushing forward towards the British, and they start to have some problems. They start to lose, and they start to get slaughtered, and so they turn, and they start to retreat, and everybody's running away, and, and Benjamin Martin looks up, and he sees them, and he runs up, and he grabs the flag out of the hands of one of the soldiers that's running the, the wrong way, and he grabs the flag, and he starts charging towards the battle line, yelling, no retreat, no retreat, and he just keeps barreling forward until he gets to the top of the hill, and he starts waving the flag at the top of the hill to call everybody back to fight. And up until that moment, the soldiers, they had all lost their hope. They thought, this is over, we're done, retreat, get out of here. They didn't have anything left to go forward with. But once they saw him, you see their eyes start to light up. You see their, their spirits start to lift again. And they turn and they all start charging back towards the battle line. And they end up overcoming the British and winning the battle. He knew that it was now or never. And so he inspired them by his own example, by his own um, courage to push back towards the line and keep fighting. And we could probably come up with numerous examples of that when we look through military history or sports teams or maybe even things that you've experienced in other parts of your life, business or whatever else, school, where somebody had the courage to go first and everybody else looked at them and it was inspired. It, it kind of lifted you, it challenged you to follow them in that. Well, the church has the same thing in Christ, but even better, <laughs> right? Christ came to earth as an unafraid witness for God the Father. He came to earth to declare and carry out the redemption plan that God had put in place from the beginning of time. But even beyond what he did and the inspiration of his example... Now, since he's resurrected and he's next to the Father in heaven, 
his presence and his power are still with us, still working through us so that we can continue on in that unafraid witness that he started in his time here on the earth. And so you see, when we talk about unafraid witness this morning, I don't want this to just be a guilt trip. I don't want this to be a, a lashing of, of how bad of a Christian you are because you haven't invited anybody to church or haven't told anybody about Jesus this week. That's not what we're going for here. We want to get a picture of Christ as the unafraid witness because he is the key motivator that keeps us going forward in the battle, keeps us going forward on the mission to share the gospel with more and more people. We need to look at Christ. So the unafraid witness of Jesus fuels unafraid witness in his church. This is what you're going to see in Romans today. The unafraid witness of Jesus fuels unafraid witness in his church. It all starts with him. It flows from him. And so I want you to to be able to catch a glimpse of this this morning. So Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Let's go. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Here's the first thing you need to know about unafraid witness this morning. Number one, unafraid witness flows from an unafraid life. Unafraid witness flows, it starts from an unafraid life. So when Paul starts talking here in, chap- in verse 5 of chapter 10, he says if, if you live by them, and them is pointing back to the commandments, to the law, and so he's, he's making a reference here back to the Old Testament, right? To the Jewish people and to what Moses led them to do. And so he's saying that if you're going to live by the law, if you're going to use uh, the law to achieve your righteousness, then you have to obey the law perfectly. Like the only way you're good with God, according to the law, is if you are flawless, perfect, no mistakes, no sin, no falls ever. Nothing short of perfection can satisfy the holiness of God. Now, I think we all know from personal experience how impossible and utterly exhausting that is. That perfection is not within our grasp as human beings. And worse yet, our failure to keep the law creates in us this constant fear, this constant worry that God's going to punish us, that that God's God's wrath is going to come down on our lives, that somehow we're going to, to feel the weight of his power because of our failure when it comes to the law. And so trying to live by the law leads to failure and fear, Paul says. Constant life of fear. Thankfully, he gives us an alternative here. He says, but you could also live by faith. Or he says here, the righteousness based on faith. He says there's another way to be perfect. It's not through works. It's not through 
perfect obedience. It's not through you doing anything. It's actually through faith in Jesus Christ who was perfect on your behalf. Who did the perfection for you. And he says here, do not say in your heart who will ascend and do this or who will descend and do this. Because he says it's not based on you. This, this whole idea that, that you can do it is going to lead you the wrong way. It's not, I'll go up and I'll do this, or I'll go down and I'll do this. Because outside of perfection, you can't get to God. No matter what you try. He says, so it's not based on that. He says, instead, he says, the word is near you. That's such a great phrase. It's the reality that when we couldn't get near to God because of our sin, that God came near to us. First, he came near to us in his written word. He, he gave us the revelation of who he is, dating all the way back to creation, this great redemption story that he's been writing for centuries and centuries and centuries. But secondly, and more importantly, he came near to us in the person of Jesus Christ what John calls the living word, right? He says, the word is near you. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he came down off his throne to set foot on earth to be near us. That's the gospel. That when we were trying to live by the law, we failed miserably. That we were broken, we were sinners, we were rebellious against God, we were separated from him because of our sin, and we couldn't fix it, we couldn't get to him, so God came near to us. In the person of Jesus Christ, God came and he set foot on the earth in human flesh. He lived a perfect and sinless life, the only one who's ever kept the law perfectly. And then at the end of his life, he chose to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To be a substitute for you and I. He, he paid the debt. He, he took the death that we should get for our sin. And he took all the wrath and all the guilt, and he took it upon himself. And he said, I'll cover this. And he died, and he went into the ground. And three days later, he came back to life to show us that he was God, to prove that he had conquered sin, he had conquered death. He had been perfect and his perfection was enough to cover the guilt of our sin. And he says, if you'll turn from your sin, if you'll believe in me, you can be forgiven. And as Paul says here, you can be guaranteed salvation. You see, Jesus, the whole reason Jesus came to earth was to be an unafraid witness of God the Father. It started with him. He came to death, testify to the death of sin and to the grace of God that is now ours to be had. He came so that we could be saved and we could live by faith, not by the law. And then Paul says in verse 10, he says, if you'll believe and confess, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, he promises you will be saved. That's a promise of God. That's, a, that's the promise of God. That's the promise of the gospel. No more fear. No more fear of punishment from God. No more fear of wrath from God. No more fear of death. Because all of that is washed away 
when our faith is in Jesus Christ. The guarantee of eternal life in Jesus is what sets me free to live an unafraid life before God. No more fear. So this whole last year, we've been studying the book of Acts. Right? We've been looking at example after example after example of the apostles, of the early church, of what it looks like to live an unafraid life. So secure and so sure of Jesus and what he has done for us that we can do whatever it takes to follow him and spread the gospel because there's nothing on the other side that can hurt us. This is where unafraid witness has to start. You will never be an unafraid witness for Jesus until your heart learns to live an unafraid life in Jesus. It starts with me getting and and fully investing myself in the reality that I am completely free from all fear and threat through the work of Jesus Christ. A couple um, months ago now, I think, I was reading this book. I came across this story in this, in this book this, um, about a pastor named Donald Barnhouse. And it's one of those things, like, when you, like, as a pastor, you're always looking for material. You know that, right? Like, you're always looking for, like, the good story that will, like, really help. And, and so anytime you come, like, you, you know, like, highlight it, you mark it, you try not to forget about it. And this story was so impactful when I read it. I was like, man, this is gold right here. This is going to be, this is going to be good. So it's about this pastor named Donald Barnhouse, and he said, I, he said, he's telling the story himself. He says, I was driving my children to my wife's funeral, which I was to preach the sermon. That's a bad day. I'm just, I've, I've preached a couple funerals. That would be a bad day. So he's driving with his kids to his wife's funeral, and he, and he says, as we came into a small town, there strode down in front of us a truck that came to a stop at a red light. He said, it was the biggest truck I'd ever saw in my life, and the sun was shining on it at just the right angle that it cast the shadow of the truck across the snowy field. And as the shadow covered the field, I said, look, I said, children, look, look at the truck and look at its shadow. And then he asked his kids this, he says, if, if you had to be run over by something, which is kind of a weird question when you're going to a funeral. I'm just going to be honest. But he says to his children, if you had to be run over by something, would you rather be run over by the truck or its shadow? And the youngest child said, well, the shadow. <laughs> like, the shadow can't hurt anybody, Dad. He said, that's right. Death is a truck, but the shadow is all that ever touches the Christian." The truck ran over Jesus. The shadow is all that has run over mommy. This is the reality for us as Christians. That living by faith in Christ means that the shadow of death can never hurt us. And so ultimately, we have nothing to fear. Everyone who confesses and believes in Jesus is saved from eternal death to eternal life. We are saved to live unafraid and therefore witness to the gospel of Jesus 
as unafraid as well. Faith in Jesus removes my fear and sets me free to live an unafraid life. Faith in Jesus removes my fear and sets me free to live an unafraid life. This is where unafraid witness has to start. But there's more. Let's keep reading here in Romans chapter 10. Go to verse 11 with me. Paul continues, he says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. But there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So unafraid witness flows from an unafraid life, but number two, it's rooted in an unafraid mission. It's rooted in an unafraid mission. Paul says, Scripture says, everyone who believes. So again, he's pointing here to this guarantee we've been talking about, this guarantee of salvation, this guarantee of deliverance and victory. He says, everyone who believes will not be put to shame. And specifically, the shame he's talking about there is that is the ultimate shame, the shame at the final judgment. Because there will come a day where we all stand before the Lord and we give an account for our lives. And those who have not been forgiven through Jesus Christ will suffer the punishment and wrath that is due them for their sin. And the shame and the guilt will be unbearable on that day. But not for the Christian. He says, they will not be put to shame because Jesus, their unafraid witness, will be standing there next to them in front of the Father saying, no, 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 I paid for this one. This one's covered. I already took all of their shame. They don't get any. All they get is grace. So he says they will not be put to shame. And he goes on to say in 12 that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That, that, uh, that all who call on him will be saved. I love that Paul reminds us of this over and over and over again in his letters. That the gospel reaches everyone, everywhere. Listen, church, in all of the craziness of our world right now, in all of the disunity and all of the, the mess that we're walking through, this is the one thing that we need to stand on more than anything, is that Jesus Christ, his gospel, is for everyone, everywhere. Period. End of sentence. There are no exceptions to that rule. All who believe. All who call on his name can be saved. There's no limit to the mission of Jesus Christ. And Paul assures us of that because he says that he is Lord of all. That our Savior, our Lord, is Lord over all, he's Lord for all, and he is Lord to all. And it's because he is Lord, his Lordship guarantees us, the church, mission success. There is nothing that can stop the mission of the gospel because Jesus is Lord of all. So we have nothing to fear when it comes to carrying out his mission. Everyone who calls will be saved. There's no person and no place the gospel can't reach. 
So Jesus calls us to take it to everyone, everywhere. One of the things that I've found throughout life is um, that it's kind of dicey, can get a little messy and can, can mess you up sometimes, um, is uh, recommendations. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like movies or restaurants or dating partners or whatever it is. Right? Like, like recommendations can get messy. Oh, it's just a show of hands. Who's, who's been on the bad side of a recommendation before? Right? Like we've all experienced that, right? You've got to see this film. It's amazing. It'll change your life. And like $25 later, you're like, yeah, I would rather watch Paint Peel than see that again. That was horrible. And for, for them, for, in that moment, when, when that happens, anytime that person recommends something again, you're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good, right? Like, no, no, this, this restaurant's amazing. Like, yeah, you're also the one who said that Little Women was life-changing. So, no, I'm done. I'm good. I'm out, right? Like, no more from you. This is why I'm really careful about giving recommendations, because they can really turn a relationship sideways quick, right? Like, if it's not, if it doesn't go well. But then there's other people in your life that you trust completely, right? Their tastes line up with your taste. You're on the same page. Anytime they tell you something, you know it's going to be gold, right, if they tell you. Because, like, man, yes, this, everything they give me is good. It, anytime they give me a recommendation, it is a sure thing. Because they have proven themselves trustworthy in this area. And when you can trust someone like that, when you can trust them completely, you'll follow them anywhere. That's what Paul is telling us here about Jesus. That's what he's saying to Christians, that Jesus is a sure thing. Right? His promise of salvation is always good. You you, you will never recommend Jesus to anyone and him let you down. His gospel reaches everyone everywhere. So we don't need to be hesitant. We don't need to be scared. We don't need to be worried about fulfilling the mission and sharing Jesus because it is a sure thing. He is Lord of all. He is over all. And he can change any life that he comes in contact with. If they will believe and confess. This is why we love church planting. This is why I wanted to plant a church in the first place. Study after study has shown that the most effective evangelism strategy is to plant more churches. That church plants are the most effective at reaching the lost. And that's what we want to be about, is bringing more people into the kingdom. But not just us. This is why we as Harvest, part of our DNA is we want to be a church planting church. We want to be about helping other churches go in other parts of the world, other parts of our city, and share the gospel. Chris just shared with you last week that um, we, we are helping out another church here in St. Louis. There's a, so we're part of, some of you guys are new, so I'll kind of catch you up. So we're part of a group called Plant Midwest here in St. Louis that is a, just a group of churches that's helping partner together to plant more churches in our city, in places where there's not a, a good, solid gospel-preaching church. And so, as part of Plant Midwest, there's another church being planted right now in the Lindenwood Park area, up off Kings Highway, not too far from here. And um, 
they are just getting started. They have, they have two pastors that are coming together to help plant this church. They just got a little office space, but all they had, not that picture, you can take that off. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but all they have right now in their office is not that one either. No pictures right now. Thank you. You're messing up my chi. Okay. Um, that's not true. I don't have chi. Um, I have Jesus. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, so Storyline Church is being planted in Lindenwood Park. And so I met up with these guys. They were in this new office. All they had was a kitchen table. All right? They were sharing a kitchen table. I was like, dude, we've got desks galore uh, in storage in this building that we just uh, received from the Lord. And so just come over and pick out a couple desks. So they came over. They got them a couple desks. They got a chair. They're taking it back to their office just trying to bless them. We know what it's like to just get started and not have anything, right? We want to be about helping other churches. There's another church that we're working with right now. Um, part of, we're also part of what we call the Great Commission Collective. Another group of churches, but they're focusing on planting churches nationally and internationally. All right, so other parts of the United States and then all across the world. And we love being a part of that group as well. And so there's a church being planted right now in Des Moines, Iowa, called Multiply Church. And it's by Adam and Brianna Bailey. Okay, we can get that one now. Uh, here's Adam and Brianna. They just had their first child as well. So um, got to meet with Adam this last year at one of our retreats and really excited about what God's going to do with them there in Des Moines. And so um, they're hoping to launch this fall. And so they're building their core right now. They're getting things together. Um, but they're needing, you know, it's COVID season. Everything's crazy. And, um, and so they were needing um, some help. So we're going to be supporting them monthly. Uh, financially to help them kind of get started as a church. That's going to be coming out of our missions fund. I'm going to be telling you more about them. Hopefully he'll come visit us soon and get to, we get to meet him in person. Um, but also, as they're moving up towards launch this fall, they're needing what we needed. They're needing equipment. They're needing stuff to launch. And so we just donated to them um, the uh, sound system that we had over at the building. Since we have this one, we didn't need it. And so they came down yesterday. Let's show, let's show them the van now. And we loaded up some speakers and subs and a board for them in their van. They're taking that back to Des Moines last night so they can start their church this fall and be reaching people with the gospel there in Iowa. This is what we want to do, church. We want to be generous. We want to be faithful. We want to be helping more churches get planted so they can spread the gospel. We wanted to take our first short-term mission trip this last summer. And the COVID happened. But we're going to do that. We want to start getting more involved in international work. More churches being planted in other countries, reaching people with the gospel. So summer 2021, God willing, we're going to be signing up. We're going to be going on a short-term mission trip to another church plant to help them reach their community, reach their country for the gospel as well. Every year, we're increasing our missions giving to both local and international missions we want to be about taking the gospel to more and more people. We're not afraid of the mission. Jesus is with us. He's in us. We have nothing to fear. And so he calls us to get on it and get to work. Got me all frazzled. Where's my notes? Okay. One of the verses that I use with our church repeatedly through core group phase was 1 Thessalonians 5.24. I think this verse is so key to us understanding what it means to be an unafraid witness. It says, he, Jesus, or God, who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the reason that we're not afraid of the mission. 
It's because we're not the ones ultimately doing it anyways. We're just putting our hand to the plow. We're just putting our, our, our feet to the work, and then God comes along and he achieves it, and he fulfills it, and he does exactly what he wants to do to expand his kingdom and to further his ministry, his mission. The guarantee of the gospel removes my fear and sets me free to live on mission with Jesus. The guarantee of the gospel removes my fear and sets me free to live on mission with Jesus. So once I know that my salvation is guaranteed, I can live an unafraid life. Once I know that the mission is guaranteed by God himself, I can go on an unafraid mission. Then there's a third piece to unafraid witness here that Paul touches on. Look at verse 14. He goes on, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed what he has... For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The third thing about unafraid witness this morning is simply this. It produces unafraid proclamation. Unafraid proclamation. So Paul asks a question in 14. He says, how will they call? And he's pointing back here to the promise that we just talked about in the last verses, right? That everyone who calls will be saved. He's like, great. If everyone who calls will be saved, then how are they going to know to call? <laughs> Like, how does that even happen? And he gives us, he says, how are they going to call if they don't believe? And they can't believe unless they hear. And they can't hear unless someone preaches to them. Now, in our vernacular today, that word preach can be a little deceptive. Because he's not just talking about, like, preaching a sermon from the, the, pul- from the, the stage like a pastor does on Sunday. The Greek word there could actually probably be better translated for us, proclaim. How are they going to hear unless someone proclaims to them the gospel of Jesus Christ? This isn't, he's not just talking here to preachers. He's talking to all disciples, all followers of Jesus, that we should all be proclaiming the gospel to everyone everywhere so they might hear, so they might believe, and they might call on the name of Jesus. Again, this is exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus came down to earth, what did he do? For three years, he went around preaching. He went around proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, come to me. I'm what you need, he said. And now he calls us to the same unafraid proclamation, just like him. Paul shows us that as we are faithful to proclaim, that others will hear and others will believe And others will call on Jesus. This is God's design for gospel witness. It's so mind-blowing to me. It's so humbling to me at times to think that God put all of his eggs in one basket. And that's us. Right? That God's plan A to spread the gospel is his church proclaiming it to other people. And there's no plan B. Right? Like, This is it. He calls us to boldly proclaim. 
But then he goes one, Paul goes one step further here. He says, they have to, if they're going to call, they have to believe. If they're going to believe, they have to hear. If they're going to hear, they have, someone has to preach to them. And he says, how are they going to preach to them unless they are sent? I think that's a word that we have not used enough in our church to describe the identity of who we are. All throughout the New Testament, we are told to live as sent people. That the only way the gospel is going to be proclaimed to the lost is if the church sends its people out to do so. To be that unafraid witness. Jesus was sent by the Father. All through the gospels we see this. John 12, 49 is one example. For I have spoken not of my own authority, Jesus says, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. God the Father sent Jesus on a mission to earth. And now Jesus sends us on that same mission to take the gospel to everyone, everywhere. If you've been around Harvest very long, you know we have one phrase we say a lot around here. Into every service, emails, to each other, you are loved. And we say that because that needs to be a part of your identity in Christ. You need to understand and, and have rooted your heart in the idea and the fact that you are loved by God. And therefore, you are loved by us. And we need to hear that. We need to know that. But just as much as you are loved... And you are sent. This this needs to become a new phrase for us. Yes, you are loved and you are sent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Paul does give us a little warning here, and I'm glad that he does because this is reality. He says, you're going to go and you're going to proclaim, but Isaiah tells us that not all will obey. In other words, not all will believe, not all will bow themselves to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's okay. Jesus knows not everybody's going to believe, and he still sends us because some will. Some will hear, some will believe, some will call if we are faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was sent to proclaim to the point of death. Now he sends us on the same mission with the same power to proclaim so that others can avoid death through him. Jesus' example of bold proclamation removes my fear and sends me out to boldly proclaim the gospel. Jesus' example of bold proclamation removes my fear and sends me out to boldly proclaim the gospel. We are sent as unafraid witnesses in him. I mentioned earlier that in a couple weeks we're launching into our new ministry year this fall. And uh, our theme this year 
is going to be taking new ground. We have seen God move and work and do some miraculous and awesome things in our church over the last three and a half years. But that doesn't mean it's time to just get comfortable. It doesn't mean that we can just settle in and be like, all right, we're good now. God gave us a building. We've got lots of people. Things are going well. We've got small groups. We've got students. And let's just kind of coast now. Let's just kind of chill and, and just take it easy. And No. That's not what God's called us to. We want to continue to press forward for the kingdom of God and for the glory of his name. So this year, we're going to be focused on taking new ground. Taking new ground in our hearts as we repent of sin, as we let the Holy Spirit change us, as we press in more to what God wants to do in our own lives as he disciples us and sanctifies us. We're going to take new ground as a church as we maximize the resources that he's given us to make more disciples and to go further in ministry. We're going to take new ground in our community and in the world as we go out and spread the gospel through local projects and church plants and uh, international mission trips and any other opportunities that we can find to be about proclaiming the gospel. But in order for this to work, we have to live sent. We have to take everything that we've learned this whole past year in the book of Acts about how to proclaim the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to live that out. We have to live sent to those that Jesus has put in our life. That's how we keep taking new ground. That's how the gospel keeps advancing. That's how we become unafraid witnesses. We're sent by him. We're sent for him we're sent through him, his power. The unafraid witness of Jesus fuels unafraid witness in his church. Harvest, I want nothing more than that to be true of us. More this year than ever before. stand with me. I want to pray. We're just going to sing a song of response to the Lord for his greatness and his glory that we might be fueled as unafraid witnesses. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. God, just thankful again, Lord, to be in this place, to be in your presence, to hear from your word, to get to worship with your people. We thank you so much for your love and your grace to us. Thank you for sending Jesus to come and to give us new life through faith. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to, to earn our way through the law anymore. Thank you for opening the gospel and salvation to all who will believe. Now, Lord, through the power and the presence of your spirit in us, stir our hearts. Send us out to be unafraid witnesses for you. Lord, we believe and we confess, Lord, you truly are 
the Lord of all. And we will exalt you to everyone, everywhere. Pray this in Christ's name.